Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for being with us today and for teaching us and meeting us, O oh Lord, at our point of need. We pray for open hearts and minds to hear what you have for us, O oh Lord, and to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us your purposes, your truth, O oh God, and your wisdom. And Lord, we also thank you for the corresponding grace to follow through and be doers of the word for your glory and our own advancement. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, tonight we are looking into the topic, overcoming by the word. Overcoming by the word. God has given us a revelation of himself. That revelation is in his word. In it, he has given us a revelation of our redemption in Christ and that of the new creation in Christ. So this revelation is not only a witness of himself, but also a witness of the new creation. That is the new creation's privileges, the, the new creation's authority and responsibility in Christ. It is essential that the believer knows the primary place of the, that the word must occupy in his or her life. Because without it, and with a, without a, a right and practical knowledge of it, God's people are powerless, they are defeated. Uh, listen to Jesus's instructions in John chapter 15 and verse 7. John 15, 7, Jesus says in speaking to his disciples, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you, amen. So Jesus here, in essence, is saying that if we abide in the word and the word abides in us, in other words, if we allow for marriage of the word in our heart, so marriage of the word and our spirit, then we will be under the influence or even control of the word. And when we speak, it will not be the carnal man speak, speaking, but it will be the spiritual man speaking. 
it will be the spiritual men praying and whatever comes out of the spirit of that spiritual man at that point will be the perfect will of God because the, the, the man at, or should I say the, the believer at this point has allowed himself to be possessed by the word and therefore his asking is completely under the influence of the Holy Spirit and therefore whatever he asks he will receive. This is a place of power. Hallelujah. And the reason we are to make the word of God our abode, it's because God works through his word. Every word is a seed that is spirit and life and has unlimited potential. And since the enemy is aware of this, he has always bitterly and also very subtly fought God's word. You see, when God desired to create the universe, he brought it into being by the power of his word. We all know that looking at the account of Genesis chapter one. Amen. That gives us the account of creation. And Hebrews 11 and verse 3 affirms that the worlds were created, amen, by the word of God. And when it comes to the life of the believer, we understand that the child of God, every child of God was begotten. That is, he was born of the word. According to James chapter one and James uh, and first Peter chapter one, verses 22 and 23, we're going to look at these passages. Amen. James chapter one and verse 18 says, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Amen. And then we have first Peter chapter one and verse 23. Amen. And it says this, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Amen. So we see in both verses here that we are born again by the word of God, which in verse 18 says that we are, James 1.18 calls it the word of truth. And then 1 Peter 1 verse 23 says that it is the incorruptible seed of the word of God. Amen. Now, after we become born again, 
our food, our sustenance, and the maintenance of our spiritual life is the word of God. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter four and also Luke chapter four, uh, actually both cases it's verse four, Luke four and Matthew four and verses, verse four. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we see that it is the word that sustains us. Amen. We live by the word. And then also we find out in God's word, uh, actually Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, that it is the word, word that builds us up. Acts 20, 32 says this. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Amen. Hallelujah. So we see that the word builds up. Now we see that God creates everything by his word. We are born again by his word. Hallelujah. We are sustained by his word. We grow by his word. Hallelujah. And you know, our enemy, he's battled because he knows these things. He has therefore set himself against the word of God. Therefore, his battle has always been against the word to be effectual in the believer's life. In looking at history, we're going to quickly look in, over uh, several centuries, <laughs> but uh, we're going to do that very quickly and see the attacks of the enemy against the word of God. You know, every period of spiritual decline has been marked by what you would call a scarcity of the word, um, a lack of understanding as well of the word of God. He, Satan tried different tactics, amen. Um, at one point, it was very severe persecution, uh, torture and martyrdom of Christians. Uh, and then he switched on to destroying Bibles. Um, and he found out that that was not stopping the church from growing. So he switched to what we would call a more successful method because it is so subtle. And this method has been to attack the word to make it powerless, to make it ineffectual in people's lives. So for about a thousand years before what we know as the reformation, the word was neglected. It was disregarded and not given its place in Christian circles. 
So during that time, what happened was that philosophies of men, particularly Asian philosophy, assumed the authority of the word and ruled and controlled the Christian world. And so when the word lost its place, real faith, and I have to use the word real faith because we are going to see again the attack of the enemy in playing around with the word faith. Real faith became unfamiliar and understanding, the understanding of man's redemption also lost its place. And so the, the Bible was locked up in places like monasteries and in a language that the common people could not even understand. It was written in Latin and only the clergy had access to it. And so this is the reason for the spiritual darkness of the Middle Ages and the reason why God seemed inactive during that dark period. As I said, he seemed inactive because God always has his select few, his remnant, he's always working, even if we don't see him, amen? And so for the most part, we couldn't see God working. And the, 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 that period became known, of the Middle Ages became known as the Dark Ages. And when God's word lost its place, uh, then he, he also, God himself in general, was not working in the lives of men as he desired. Consequently, wrong beliefs and doctrines, as I said, uh, stemming particularly from Asian philosophy, such as the doctrine of penance, of purgatory, um, people isolating themselves in monasteries, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and even ended up in what we had as the Crusades. But you see, God is faithful to his word. Hallelujah. And his church will prevail. So God intervened. And it was his intervention that brought about the Reformation. The word began to work in the lives of a few men who got a glimpse of the place of the word, the priority that it should have in our lives. And therefore worked, they worked and even at the ex expense or you know, some of them were willing to die to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. They wanted the, the word to be, to, 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 to be accessible to the common people. And it was, the, again, the working of God's words in the lives of these men that brought back light and life to humanity. In the meantime, the printing press was invented. Then that together with the work of the Reformation brought Bibles into the homes of common people in their vernacular language. So now they could understand the word. 
But since we're talking about Satan's attack against the word of God, because he knows the power of the word. He never ceased, therefore, to try to make the word inactive. So he could not lock the word up in monasteries or in a language that people could not understand. So he locked it up within what you would call creeds and doctrines. So Satan's battle against the Reformation became fierce. On one hand, he tried, he sought to silence and kill the reformers. And on the other hand, he caused men to build creeds and doctrines about the lives of these men uh, who are leading the Reformation. And this resulted in hindering people from real spiritual growth and development. You see, the fact of the matter is that no single leader of the Reformation possessed all the light. God raised up these men and gave to each one a portion of light. And yet these men themselves were largely the product of their environment, the product of the Middle Ages. So there was a lot of work to be done in them as well. So whenever a person or a man or woman locks himself up within a set of creeds that is doctrines created by men, he shuts out further lights on the word and hinders his growth. And this is what has caused divisions, that we, the divisions that we see within the church and has prevented a true presentation of Christianity, of the message of the gospel to the world. To the world. And because of that, the finished work of the cross, the redemption purchased for us by Jesus has never had a fair chance to work in the lives of men. And this caused furious battles to be waged and some over the deity of Christ, others about the authority of scriptures, resulting in the present day condition that we now witness. So for decades now, we find that many churches are, are preaching in the place of the word of God, other themes that they consider to be more practical and in harmony with modern times, with modern civilization. And so the word of God has been diluted and even changed to adapt to the world's view, to be more palatable, especially to the young, younger generation. And regrettably, the sacredness of scriptures seems to have lost its importance among many of those who today are considered the most spiritual. So now, Let's see what the enemy has done. Again, he changed gears. You think that having the word available and that should have been our deliverance, mankind's deliverance from ignorance and bondage, but no, the enemy's new tactics was to hinder the working of the word in our midst. 
and to replace real faith with head knowledge. And this is the greatest weapon that the enemy is using today to make the word of God ineffectual in the believer's life. This weapon is utterly dangerous because it is very subtle. Head knowledge or mental assent, as it is also called, <clears throat> it's hard to recognize because it comes covered up in the term faith. So what is faith then, true faith? Faith is action upon the word. It is believing and fearlessly acting upon the word. The word says it, we believe it, that settles it, and we act on it. This is faith. Now, what is head knowledge or mental assent? It is intellectually agreeing that the Bible is true, but our agreement is void of action. So those who desire to live fruitful life, to increase and to multiply as God has ordained for his people should understand the hindrances that head knowledge brings with it. Numerous Christians who operate in the realm of head knowledge today are living unfruitful lives, some barren lives. They are constantly seeking power with God, seeking God in prayer, which to them, by the way, is crying, begging God to hear them and to answer them. They memorize scriptures and quote them often without ever really acting upon them. They've never learned to live by the word. And this is key, learning to live by the word. So such believers, and it's interesting that we, we use the word believers because a believer means that you we believe. But what exactly do these believers or Christians who only operate in head knowledge experience is failure and lack, weakness. Why? Because they have no understanding or no revelation of the real meaning of believing God's word, of really acting upon the word. And generally, if corrected in this area, they are quickly offended. You find people calling themselves believers who when challenged to act on the word, they try to step out in faith, but in the back of their mind, they already have plan B and sometimes even plan C 
if plan A, which is completely stepping out in faith, does not work. In their mind, that is. So for instance, the word declares that believers have been made new creations in Christ. That's found in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. That they have been made the very righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. That they are joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8.17. That the authority of the name of Jesus is ours in prayer. John 16, 23 and 24, hallelujah. And that God shall supply all our needs, Philippians 4, verse 19. Yet those who walk around with only head knowledge have no consciousness of righteousness, no consciousness of authority in the name of Jesus. And therefore, no spiritual strength. They don't realize their place as joint heirs with Christ. And that the authority of the name of Jesus gives them legal rights in prayer. However, they know in their head, notice again, I said in their head, not in their heart, all the prayer promises. And this is because the attitude has been one, again, of mental assent, and Satan is robbing them of their inheritance in Christ. You know, James chapter 1 and verse 26 says that faith without works is dead. So if we profess to believe the word of God, yet we do not act upon it, our actions do not correspond. The secret of a victorious life in Christ, which every believer may and should possess, is summed up in the book of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. And this verse reads, Revelation 12, 11, and they, that is the believers, overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved their lives unto death. They loved not their lives unto death. Now notice that there are three things mentioned here. They overcame by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. Amen. We're going to focus on the word of their testimony here. But please remember, there are two other points to this verse. Number one, the blood. Number two, the word of their testimony, and number three, that they love not their lives unto death. The blood of the lamb signifies the completeness of our redemption in Christ. 
And the word of our testimony means acting fearlessly on the word, such as making God's word our confession of faith in the midst of every circumstance that we encounter. Hallelujah. Praise God. So what should the believer's confession be? If truly we claim to be believers, this is how we should be speaking. I am the righteousness of God because his word declares it. Sin shall not have dominion over me. Hallelujah. I have authority over Satan. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. In all things, I am more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. And my God shall supply all my needs. And because of that, I will never be anxious. You see, in the face of every contradictory circumstance, we must hold this confession. We make God's word, therefore, our word. What he declares, we fearlessly declare because we are free from head knowledge and we have learned to walk by faith and therefore act on his word. Let's keep in mind that God desires for his people to experience the life of the glorified Lord. Amen. Which means that we bear his image and likeness. This means that Christ rules and therefore we rule with him. And you know, the Bible tells us that in Romans chapter five and verse 17. I'm going to read that passage. Romans five verse 17 states that if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So if we have received the gift of righteousness and we have received God's abundant grace, we have entered into this place called salvation. Amen. Then the next thing that we are called to do is to reign with Christ. First, we reign over sin inwardly and over the attacks of the enemy outwardly. Ephesians chapter two, I believe. And verse six says that we are raised up together and made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is where Christ is and we are made to sit. <clears throat> Hallelujah. In heavenly places with him. 
This is a place of dominion, a place where we are called to reign right here on this earth. When Jesus told his disciples to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The plan was that we would be left here to enforce his victory and his authority right here in this earth. Hallelujah and reign with him. There is therefore a far reaching level of faith available to God's people. And one that goes beyond believing that maybe someday God is going to do something important in our lives. The faith that we should appropriate right now is a faith that realizes that God is calling us to significance right now. Amen. The moment we give the, our lives to Christ, we were called to significance. This is the type of faith that the Lord awakened in Abraham. I know we all know Abraham's about Abraham's life, the account of his life. Amen. So I won't go over too many details. But we're going to come back to Abraham because we need to see what the Bible describes as the steps of faith of Abraham. You see, God awakened this in Abraham. Because one thing that we have to bear in mind, we cannot obey what we don't agree with. We can't obey what we don't understand. And so God's covenant is always fulfilled through not just our agreement with him, but also our obedience. And to facilitate our obedience, God wants us to see what he sees so we can agree with him. We can become one with him in our envision. When a covenant was initiated by God, it always contained God's unbreakable commitment to supply grace and faith to the person he's partnering with. And so we find that Abraham went from head knowledge to or doctrinal knowledge of God's purposes to personalizing God's promise, which stirred him to a living response. Amen. Now, we, I just mentioned the steps of faith of Abraham. We find that in Romans chapter four, which, which gives us the details on how Abraham responded to God's promise and covenant. Abraham's faith became alive. And his response can be seen in what he did. In other words, he became a doer of the word. 
The Bible tells us in James chapter 1 and verse 25, to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. So when we walk around with head knowledge, we are deceiving ourselves. No wonder there can be any fruitfulness. So let's see what Romans 4 tells us. We're going to look from verses, verse 17 to verse 22. And note, <clears throat> he did many things, but there are five main ones that I'm going to discuss here. Let's start with verse 17. This is God speaking. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. And then it continues, before him whom he believed, even God, which quickeneth the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. The important thing for us to see here is that Abraham declared God's word over himself and his family. How did he do that? Every time he called himself by the name Abraham, which is the new name that God told him would be his, rather than Abram, which was the name that he had for, for previous to that. And then every time he called his wife, Sarah, rather than Sarai, which was her previous name, which by the way, Abraham and Sarah speaks about being the father and mother of many nations, hallelujah, of multitudes. So Abraham, though he had no children, kept calling himself father of many nations and calling his wife mother of many nations, hallelujah, praise God. The confession of the word in his mouth. This is what he did. He called those things which be not as though they were. Now, verse 18 goes on to say, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Amen. So we are told here that against all natural hope, his faith did not waver. He held on to the vision. The vision became what the Bible calls his earnest expectancy, which what the Bible's actually, this is the, the biblical definition of hope. You earnestly expect something to happen. Hallelujah. And therefore you are focused on it. You're not distracted. You don't have plan B and plan C. You, you're your earnest expectation is plan A, which is God's word, and plan A alone, period. Hallelujah. So this is what Abraham did against hope, natural hope. He believed the world, what the world would say no to, God said yes to, and Abraham locked in to the word of God, to the yes of God, and he moved with God. Hallelujah. Now look at verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, 
neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. What, what is it saying here? We are told that Abraham did not consider the impossibility of human reproduction due to his age and Sarah's age, and also the fact that she had been barren all her life. He never considered that. What didn't he do also? Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. So what did Abraham do? He was, he did not allow himself to doubt, did not receive the lies of the enemy that, the, that he tries to, that the enemy tries to inject in our mind. Messages always contradicting the word of God to discourage us. He did not receive those lies, but he strengthened himself in the faith. How did he do that? By giving glory to God, by praising God for the miracle that he was expecting in the natural because he had already seen it and received it in the spiritual realm. Hallelujah. And it concludes in verse 22, this passage by telling us, and therefore, I'm sorry, 21 and 22, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Amen. So Abraham overcame fear and doubt and his faith, faith was solidified to a point where he became fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Amen. This means that for Abraham, it was a done deal. And that was Abraham's living response. He became fully convinced and his faith was so strong that he did not question God, but quickly obeyed even when instructed to do things that would challenge anyone and wonder what is going on. For example, when God instructed him to go and offer Isaac as a sacrifice to him, Abraham quickly obeyed. Hebrews 11 verses 17 through 19 explains that it was by faith that Abraham offered up Isaac because he believed that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. In other words, if Abraham should be the father of many nations, it would have to be through the son of the promise, Isaac. And therefore, if God is asking him now to offer him a sacrifice, Abraham concluded, well, in that case, I will offer him and God will have to raise him up because it's a done deal. God has already given his word. Hallelujah. We are, we are covenant partners. Amen. So the revelation of God's word to Abraham 
had separated him out of his life as he was known before Abram into a place where he was, he had become Abraham, a man fit for God to fulfill his purposes in and through him. The revelation of God's word brought Abraham to that place of conviction. And this is why the word of God must be our dwelling place. Because God only works through his word. And it is only his word that is able to separate us, separate our situations, separate our circumstances, separate our house unto him. Hallelujah. We are now living in, in times when the battle for life the battle for our souls, the souls of men, is increasing. And this battle is being fought in every person, every church, every city, and every nation. And so we must understand this, the conflict that we are in if we want to be victorious. It's a battle between faith, which is God's tool to lead men into his kingdom, to make us free and to reach our full potential. And on the other hand, fear, which is the enemy's weapon to keep men in bondage. This is what the battle is about between faith and fear. It's a war that rages as I said, in every soul. And it will determine whether we live a successful life or not. But the important thing is that we all have to choose which it will be. And then fight to allow ourselves, number one, to, be, to fully agree with God, like Abraham, to become fully convinced that what he, had, he has promised is able to perform, hallelujah. And fully agree with God's promises relating to our inheritance. We have to see it. And then we have to be ready to stand. And having done all, we keep standing. We don't move because we have waited a day, because we have waited a week or a month or a year and we haven't seen the result yet, we stand. Hallelujah. God is faithful and God is able and his word never fails. Amen. We can see in the following passages that I'm going to read the working of the word and the working of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life to separate him unto God. Amen. Let's start with 
Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 12 and 13. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hallelujah. This is a loaded passage. But I, what I want us to see here is that the word is alive and the word is powerful. And the word knows where you and I, where we are. Amen. He sees all things. And the word also has a plan for us. So the word goes into the inner and outer man and is able to disconnect from us what God did not plant. The word disconnects us from Satan's lies and plans in our spirit, in our soul, in our body, and in, in anything that is connected to us and is therefore able to accomplish God's purposes for our lives through the working of the spirit and the word together. Amen. Now, in looking at this next verse, John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, we are going to see the Holy Spirit as he hears, speaks, reveals, and leads us into all truth. Let's go ahead and read that passage, John 16, 13 to 15. Actually, it's not going to be through 15. We're going to read 13, and then I will skip to verse 15. Verse 13, how be it when, the, when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. Amen. Now look at verse 15. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Amen. We see here in that passage that the Holy Spirit hears from Jesus and speaks to us. This is revealed knowledge, what he speaks to us. Knowledge that is filled with the anointing and the life of Jesus, which carries with it success and victory because in God, there is no failure and no defeat. You know, Jesus taught his disciple that the word is spirit and life. That's found in John chapter six, I believe, and verse 63. 
where Jesus said to his disciples, the word that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So when we come to the word of God, we don't come to just something. We come to a person. Jesus is the word. The word is alive. The word is powerful. Amen. And God longs for his word to dwell in us, to cause us to triumph in him. Amen. Because all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. Praise God. So in order to change our lives, we need a constant infusion of the word of life and an, an impartation of the truth. That is the revelation behind the word by the Holy Spirit. The truth will manufacture freedom inside of us. That's why Jesus instructed his disciples when he told him, told them in John chapter eight, verses 31 and 32, that if you continue in my word, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Amen. The word know here, you shall know the truth. He's speaking about the revelation knowledge of the word. And the revelation of Jesus in our spirit brings the power and the anointing of the glorified Lord to reside in us. And when he comes in us, he comes with truth. He comes with power for a specific purpose. According to this verse here is to make us free, to free us from anything that seeks to keep us in bondage. This is why he told his disciples in John 14 and verse six, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. So the question to us today is what challenge or problem has come our way? Could we be facing what seems to be an impossible situation? I believe that God is reminding us today that no matter what the issue, whether it has to do with our health, our finances, our relationships, our jobs or careers, or something that concerns our house, our families, our loved ones, hallelujah, that we must take the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal, to open up the word, to open up the truth, of the word to, to us regarding that circumstance or problem and allow the word to separate us in that area, to disconnect us from the mindset of the world and be plugged into him 
plugged in to the anointing. We must become fully persuaded, see with the eyes of faith that the enemy is under our feet. If we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, and we know, as stated in Ephesians chapter 1, that God has seated Jesus far above all principalities and powers and dominion, anything, hallelujah, that has a name, Jesus is above it. And if we are seated with him, then we can indeed, through the word of God opening our eyes, the eyes of our faith, see the enemy under our feet. And this is the place of our breakthrough. Amen. The power to separate all things is therefore in the word. The power to overcome is in the word. First John chapter five and verse four says this, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So what does that tell us? That we must come to that place where we see with the eyes of faith. You know, Hebrews, I believe 11.1, 1, describes faith as now faith is, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but now. We must be walking with a vision, a red heart burning inside of us, seeing what God sees. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, meaning not seen with our natural eyes. We don't see in the natural realm, but we see in the spiritual realm and we see the substance, we see the evidence of the word of God taking form, taking shape, being performed in our lives with the eyes of faith. So when we put the word in us, the Holy Spirit is present. He is, remember again, John 6, 63, the word that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So when we put that the word of God uh, full of, and we receive it by faith, hallelujah, the Holy Spirit is present and energizes the word, which becomes the anointed word of God. In other words, there is life in that word. There is power in that word. And that word is in us. That word then produces the, 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 the power that is needed. The, the, the whatever God needs, amen, to bring that separation that is needed between us and the world. There is that power of faith that is released that separates us and our circumstances unto God, which then <clears throat> brings us our breakthrough. You see the truth backed up with the anointing 
is what brings the solution. It what brings the deliverance. It what brings the breakthroughs. It's what nourishes us. And this is what builds us up. Amen. And so like Abraham, we must get rid of slippery faith. Notice that Abraham didn't start out being fully persuaded. There was a time at the very beginning when God first spoke to him that he questioned God about the son that had been promised him, saying that his servant would inherit all he has. <clears throat> then he and Sarah got tired of waiting. So what did they do? They took matters into their own hands, trying to make it happen. That was a fleshly decision with fleshly outcome. You see, flesh and spirit do not mix. The Bible says that there is no fellowship between light and darkness. Flesh will always give birth to flesh and likewise spirit will give birth to spirit. However, we read just a moment ago from Romans chapter four that Abraham came to a place where he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what God had promised that he was able to perform. Hallelujah. From head knowledge to real faith. So to grow in faith, in the absolute truth of God's word, we must dwell in his word. Romans 10 and verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this is not a one-time event. We have to hear and hear and hear and keep hearing until we finally get it, until the light switch goes on and we can see what God sees. Hallelujah. At that place, the word is revealed in our spirit. And what we have to bear in mind is that every word of God is a seed that is spirit, that is life, and that has unlimited potential. And this is what the enemy knows. So when we see that God sees, what God sees, sorry, when we see what God sees and we have complete confidence in his word, which is his will, God's word is God's will, it is then at that place that the battle becomes the Lord's battle. And we know that the situations challenging us are subject to change, that they will fail, that they will crumble. First John five and verses 14 and 15 says that this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Amen. 
You see, the Holy Spirit's will is the word. And he's willing to perform that word because he's one with the word. He wants to confirm the word in our lives and nothing else. So whatever else is there must go. It is only through God's word and the work of the Holy Spirit that we will overcome. The Holy Spirit is willing to heal. He's willing to deliver. He's willing to give peace, give joy, revelation, wisdom, insight, everything that we need. He confirms the work of faith with his power. The Bible tells us that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 11. So in closing, let me say that as stated several times actually during this study, the word separates us. It separates our situations. It separates our house from Satan's plans to God's plans. From Satan's territory to God's territory. Therefore, if we know that, then we should also be of the mindset that if God is for us, no one or nothing can be against us. There is no human being or evil spirit that has any authority over our lives unless we give them permission. In other words, no human being or demonic power can stop us when we are walking with the Lord, when our hearts believe, when our mouth speak what God has said about us. So the thing is this, we have to choose. Choose this day who we are going to believe. And my prayer, and I believe it's all of us, we have the same prayer, is that we will choose right. We will choose to not receive the lies of the enemy or act like victims or look for excuses and make people our problems that would only yield fear and frustration and anger, all sorts of negative things. It's actually a trap that the enemy is setting for us. And if we fall into it, then he's got us. But you see, God's word tells us that we are supposed to go into our promised land with joy. Hallelujah, that we are to draw water out of the wells of salvation with joy and move toward our inheritance, our wealthy place in Christ with shouts of joy, praising God, declaring what God is doing in our lives. And that, yes, we are well able to take the land that he has for us. So our warfare really is a spiritual one. And so are our weapons. They are spiritual and they are mighty. Hallelujah. 
And all we need to do is believe God, plant the seed of his word in every situation we face. Water the word by, as we keep speaking it, keep following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Allow the Spirit to train our tongue to only speak that word and then wait. Wait on the Lord. And as we do so, we will see him overpower our enemies and bring his word to pass because God is able, God is faithful, and because he and his word are one and God cannot fail. Hallelujah. Praise God. The only way to overcome is by the word. Amen. Father, we thank you for speaking to us, for stirring us to only believe and we will see the glory of the Lord. Father, we choose to not buy into the lies of the enemy and his bad reports, but we choose to take you at your word and speak truth to the situations challenging us. We rise up in authority, Lord. In the name of Jesus. To resist and to bind the works and the plans of the enemy and bind all forces of evil set against your people to steal, to kill and to destroy. We come against them in the name of Jesus. We bind and rebuke all spirits of destruction through disease, through sickness, through plagues, and we command them to die and disappear in the name of Jesus. We boldly decree that God is for us. Therefore, nothing can come against us to overcome us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper because the greater one is in us. We shall not die is our declaration, but we shall live and declare the goodness of the Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father, for releasing your light, your grace, your power, your love, your mercy to save, to heal, to deliver, and to make whole. Let the power, O Lord, of the blood of Jesus be over us be over our families, be over our loved ones, be over this nation and the nations of the earth and over your church, O oh God, to cleanse us and to protect us from every attack of the enemy. We thank you, Lord, that your blood even now is speaking better things over us and making a new and a living way for your plans and purposes to be established in our lives and in the earth to the glory of your most holy name. 
and for our own rejoicing. Father, we give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray that this study tonight has been a blessing to you and that it will continue to minister to you in the days ahead. I invite you to join us again next Wednesday at the same time. God bless you and have a good night.